As we've been walking through the book of Romans, we have come to the last chapter and a half. I love the beginnings and endings of letters in the New Testament because they remind me there are real people that were trying to follow Jesus into the world together. In this case, first century Jews and Gentiles reimagining faith because of Jesus' resurrection. I see them making efforts to live the one another's, like in Romans 15, 14, when Paul says, I'm fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. You know these things so well, you can teach one another all about them. First century Jews and Gentiles reimagining faith because of Jesus' resurrection, and I see them making efforts to neighbor well, like in verse 18. I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. I'm curious about that little phrase, by the way I worked among them, because miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit, they're not like godly magic tricks. They are generally, we see from Jesus and the disciples, things that bring life and wholeness to people. Feeding and healing, for instance. First century Jews and Gentiles reimagining faith because of Jesus' resurrection, and I see them making efforts to do justice. Verse 25. Before I come, I must go to Jerusalem and take a gift to the believers there. For you see, the believers in Macedonia and Achaia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. They were glad to do this because they feel they owe a real debt to them. Since the Gentiles received the spiritual blessings of good news from the believers in Jerusalem, they feel the least they can do in return is help them financially. And then Paul says in verse 28, as soon as I've delivered this money and completed this good deed of theirs, I'll come and see you on my way to Spain. And I'm sure that when I come, Christ will richly bless our time together. Paul is on his way to Spain. On his way to Spain is how this letter to the Romans happened at all, because he needed the Roman Christians' help to finance the trip. So this is verse 23 and 24, where he says, Now I've finished my work in these regions, and after all these long years of waiting, I'm eager to visit you. I'm planning to go to Spain, and when I do, I'll stop off in Rome. And after I have enjoyed your fellowship for a little while, you can provide for my journey. So he wrote them, helped them sort through some really critical things as a little church, encouraged them, and let them know he'd need their help when he finally came to visit in person so he could continue on where, presumably, he was sure God had called and led him. Only Paul never went to Spain. Rome was the end of Paul's journey and the end of his life. My question is, what do we do when we're eager to do what God may want for us But the outcome is so far, not only from our hopes, but from success. What do you do with the failures that seem to come because you did what God asked? When I was 28, I started working for Pepperdine University, helping students get more involved in local service and justice. I loved that job. I did not, however, love my boss. Eventually, between that and having Riley, it was time to move on. I prayed about what would be next. I prayed a lot. I asked for clear steps and a sense of God's leading. And when a church offered me a job doing their local service and justice partnerships with the chance to be on the preaching team, I was thrilled, answered prayers, next calling. Ten weeks after I started, I was fired. We sold our home. 
we had moved in with my parents for the transition to this new town. And we were now, as they say, stuck. Failure. What do you do with failures that seem to come because you did what God asked? At least as best you could tell. So then I found myself asking, had I done what God asked? Followed God's lead? Was I just ready to get away from a less pleasant work situation? Did I miss it? Now, fast forward a few years and we were in Chicago. I was writing kids curriculum, but Curtis was still trying to find a fit in this church. And it was surprisingly hard considering there were over 300 people on that staff, let alone volunteers. And he had a day where he was listening to one of the teaching pastors, this really nice man who was doing a fine job. But Curtis also had to be honest with God in that moment. How come this guy gets to do it? And I don't. Not that that guy shouldn't get to do it, but isn't there room for me too? Curtis had followed God's lead to Fuller and later to Duke to do his school. He'd followed God's lead here to Chicago, not for his own sake, but for mine. And what? There's just no place for him? What do you do with calling after you've listened and followed and nothing is how you hoped? When you try to follow God's lead, but are left wondering if you missed something or maybe just imagined it, made it up yourself and spiritualized it. Paul never went to Spain. Insofar as that was a goal he set, something he wanted accomplished to put our U.S. success language over top of his story, he failed. And what's tricky for folks steeped in U.S. success mindset is how quickly we may think either God was not in it because it was not successful or Paul must have missed God entirely. The Christianity cultivated in affluence for our context tells us God's presence and God's leading are found in circumstances going well. The megachurch Curtis and I were at was fond of saying, healthy things grow. A reminder that getting bigger was a sign we had followed God's lead. But unhealthy things grow too. Cancerous cells grow. We have to challenge the assumptions that bigger is better to God. That if God leads, it means things will take place how we think they will. Following God's lead might not mean success. It's also not about success. It's about getting to follow. And the life joy, peace, and presence of God along the way. Following God's lead might not mean success, but we will have done what God wanted along the way. Paul thinks God is calling him to go on to Spain and it never happens. But because he thought that was what God wanted, it resulted in this letter, this trip to Rome. Now about three years into working for Willow in Chicago, we were pretty sure it wasn't quite fitting. And Curtis was pulling weeds in the front yard and felt like God said we'd need to plant a church. To blow him off, I said I'd pray about it. But prayer led to conversations, led to church planters assessment in Minnesota, led to knowing we would not be willing to join a non-affirming denomination or church starting network, led to coming home to Southern California. If we hadn't, both actually, been fired from churches in the past, we might not have been so interested in trying something different, a little less oriented around leadership and charisma alone. If we hadn't attended to how much things hadn't fit and how that felt, we might not wanted to have left the security of regular church jobs. If Curtis hadn't been open with God about how he felt watching that teaching pastor, he might not have ever heard God respond back. I haven't called you to that. It was comfort in the moment. It made us curious for the future, but those things happened. 
those failures from following God's lead and doing what we thought God wanted. Now, there is some conventional wisdom about church starting. The three Bs, we learned this in the process. First, a budget, something nearer a million than not. Second, a building. And third, a base of people, something nearer 200 than not. When we came home to California, we had about 20 folks in a back patio surrounded by a dirt yard. So, but we met on the patio, ate dinner on the patio, practiced church with conversation, short sermons, and personal stories on that patio, spent time after each sermon responding in different ways, some familiar, some new. And that meant that when six months later, our intentionally no-tech church had to go to Zoom, Our group had already practiced being together in these ways that were interactive and conversational based on mutuality as a community. Even if brunch became virtual, we already knew how to be around a digital table. The success we want is faithfulness, not outcomes, but openness so we can hear God's voice saying whatever is ours to hear. And after two and a half years of being only on Zoom, we are beginning to wonder if it's time for our next right step as a church. A couple weeks ago, Curtis and I began meeting with some churches in the Claremont area who are willing to share their space with us so we can reimagine church in light of Jesus' resurrection here in 2022 and 23. We especially are eager to reimagine church around the table together. Locally, we will need kitchen space, of course. We need kids' space now. We need good Wi-Fi so that what we do next can be a hybrid live Zoom synchronous experience, one where we don't lose what we have cultivated over these last couple years together, a community in conversation with each other, with scripture, with God's spirit. One strange thing about the pandemic is how some good things came from it, including technology. Now, I won't belabor the particulars, but we've got some ideas for how we can set up a room so that anyone who joins us on Zoom can still hear really well and can still bring their stories and join the conversation. And then anyone in the room can see and hear them really well and we can continue in conversation together so that those folks who log in through Zoom do not become a sort of digital audience to those who are able to gather with us live. We actually even think there will be a way to have our meal groups be a combination of people in room and on Zoom together. So in January, we're going to try it. Church around the table near and far. We're going to start with once every six weeks. That'll give us time to adjust, to work out bugs. We are still going to be casual and conversational. Sermons will still be 15 minutes. We will still celebrate communion every week and then be around smaller tables together for conversation. We will likely meet for Sunday afternoons on the hybrid days, but we will continue at 9 a.m. on the ones that are Zoom exclusively in between. For the days that we meet live, it's likely that we'll meet in the afternoon, we'll close with dinner, we'll be done by 7 p.m. So those are the pieces we know, and there's a lot we don't know. We know that we'll need space. We know we'll need to participate together in new ways or maybe some new old ways if you've been around church enough. I know some in our group are as familiar with how you roll tables out or stack up chairs as they are with any other part of church life. We're going to need to take turns creating space for our kids all of our kids, because we want to raise young people well together. We're going to need to put it on our calendar and try our best to come so we can see if it works for us. 
And so we can see if it works for others who've not yet come. We make church together. And this is no exception. It's not that we want folks to be making it a priority to come so that you can stroke criticism my ego. It's that we really think this might be our next right step as Pomona Valley Church so that we can create more space around the table and help more people find their seat. May that be true in Jesus' name.